prayers of the assembly here. We can see that you're a, an assembly that believes in praying and certainly lifting up before the throne of grace names people that need help. Um, reminds me of um, Jim Simbala. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Jim Simbala. He really, uh, the Metropolitan or the Brooklyn Metropolitan Tabernacle, they really believe in prayer there. And uh, of course, when he moved there, there was, I think he said, 35 or something in the church. And uh, he said it was very discouraging because it was so small. And so they prayed. And uh, I think he said then they found that one of the deacons was stealing money. And when they dealt with that, the church got half that size. And so he said it was a, it were totally cast upon the Lord. And and uh, as they prayed and and actually really often prayed around the clock, the Lord really worked. Well, when um, um, David Jeremiah had prostate cancer, he couldn't think of anywhere he'd rather go to get prayer for his health than uh, to the church with Jim Simbala and, uh, in Brooklyn. And David Jeremiah told the story that he was sitting beside Jim Simbala's in the prayer meeting uh, and he had his eyes closed and he said the building began to shake and he thought to himself, this is the book of Acts. And he said, Jim put his hand on his knee and he said, brother, it's the subway runs underneath here. It's not, it's not, not what you think. And so uh, we appreciate it if you pray for our, uh, my sister-in-law, for my wife's sister. Her name is Wendy. Uh, let's ask the Lord for his help. Father, we're uh, grateful for a time in your word. We pray that you would speak to us, that we might hear your voice, that we might be blessed for being here. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, asking for your blessing. Amen. If I was to entitle my message tonight, uh, I would take um, what we were reminded of in prayer at the beginning, uh, Hebrews 2, verse 3. Hebrews 2, verse 3. Brother Malcolm, what's Hebrews 2, verse 3? If we neglect... So great salvation. So if I was going to write notes for my message tonight, I would entitle at the top, So Great Salvation. I would have Hebrews 2 verse 3 as the text for that concept. I would sort of lay it out in, uh, if I was making notes, I would sort of lay it out as a chart. I would have three sections or three columns and then lines below. Uh, Our first passage would be in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And so at the top, it's a so great salvation, Hebrews uh, 2, three columns underneath. And then we would have this great passage in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. It says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven And I just want to stop and make comment. The copies of the things in heaven. God showed to Moses the reality. So when you think about the tabernacle and is the tabernacle important? Hey, it's important. The reality of the tabernacle existed in heaven. And so it says it was therefore necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands which are copies of the true but into heaven itself now to appear and so this is the word we want to think about this word appear 
How many times does it come up in our passage? Okay, it says, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to them or to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So we have a chart. We're thinking about a so great salvation. Uh, We have three appearings here. How are they different? What's the difference? Help me out. What's the difference between these three appearings? Ah, Well, the first one, verse 24 says, now to appear. The second one, verse 26 says, he has appeared. And then the last one says, he will appear. So what's the difference? The tense, right? We can figure that out, right? So uh, on my chart, I have three columns. What do you think I'm going to... Make as my three columns. Past, present, future. You know, sometimes you meet Christians who believe they can lose their salvation. Right? You meet Christians. I, I, I know Christians who believe they can lose their salvation. Where do you think they would get an idea like that from? From the Bible. That's where they get it. I mean, they have verses, right? Well, and sometimes if you listen to them explain the verses, you think, man, maybe they're on to something. But, you know, we want to make sure that when we work through the Bible, that we make a difference where God makes a difference, that there are different things. There are different ages. There are different dispensations. Uh, uh, things were different in the Old Testament than the new. And so uh, we want to try to, as best we can, accurately interpret the word of God. And so our chart has, uh, so great salvation, uh, the headings for the uh, three uh, columns would be the past, the present, and the future. And so then we have to put underneath that his three appearings. And so uh, we would think of under in the past, what what appearing would belong there? Which verse would it be? 26. What does it say? He has appeared. Right. Notice that he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Right. It's important to emphasize as we think about sin, that sin has been dealt with at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. In fact, I would suggest to you that people are not going to be in a lost eternity because of sin. Is that too jarring? No, they're going to be in a lost eternity because of rejection of Jesus Christ. The light that's come into the world that's lighted the heart of every man. And so people say no to God's solution in the person of his son. Now, I I know they'll be judged for sin. Right. We get that at the end of Revelation. But that's degrees of punishment, just like there's degrees of reward. There must, in fairness, be degrees of punishment. So they'll be judged for their actions. 
But the reason they'll be in a lost eternity is because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And how does it get blotted out by rejection of Jesus Christ? And so, uh, in our first column, we have verse 26. He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, right? And so, uh, we rejoice, right, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with our sin. But John tells us, right, it's not the propitiation of our sin only, but the propitiation of the sin of the whole world, right? First John chapter 2. All right. Now, as we think of present tense, what appearing fits under that? Which verse is it? Uh, okay, sorry. In this, in this passage in Hebrews 9, what verse would it be? It would be verse 24, right? Now to appear, right? It says now to appear in the presence of God for us. All right. And so then that uh, belongs under the middle column, present tense. And now we have future. And of course, it's which verse? It's the last verse of the chapter. Yes, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Right? For salvation. Our salvation will be complete. And so it's a so great salvation, not just being saved, right, in the past, but being saved in the present. So we want to emphasize that. If we think about uh, the theology of this, uh, we wouldn't get it from here. We have these three appearings. If we were thinking about the theology of our salvation, we would turn to the book of Romans, right? And so we want to go there and we want to add to this idea. And we just want to, and just and just really move through the book of Romans. We know that, that, that um, this concept is important, this past, present, future. We, we know that, that uh, we've heard many times Romans, the book of Romans really divides up into three sort of major sections, right? The first major section would be from, ver- uh, from chapter 1 to chapter eight. 8, right? And then from 9 to chapter 11, right? And then from 12 to the end, basically, right? that practical section in the middle this difficult passage these difficult three chapters to understand it's God's dealings with Israel right how God dealt with Israel how he dealt with them in the past how he's dealing with them in the present and how he's going to deal with them in the future right and that's why we can so, so uh, uh, easily preach the gospel from Romans chapter 10, right? We love Romans chapter 10 when we think of preaching the gospel, all these gospel verses. Uh, it's really in the context of how God is dealing with Israel in the present tense. How is God saving Israel in the present tense? Just like he's saving us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so how God dealt with Israel in the past, Romans 9, present, Romans 10, uh, future, Romans 11. So uh, we see that the concept exists, this idea we're thinking about. So uh, what we want to think about uh, uh, for our chart, though, is Romans 1 through 8. We want to think about the theological definition of our salvation. Paul goes to lengths to show this, right? Um, he starts chapter one. We've already thought about it tonight. This uh, so great, this this great gospel, uh, uh, the the power of the gospel. We were reminded of that in prayer. Uh, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it was the gospel of God, right? It's God's message. Men could never have come up with it. Uh, we want to be uh, encouraged tonight that the gospel is the perfect message for the human heart. Why? 
because the originator of both is the same. The creator of the human heart is the creator of the message geared for the heart. So there it's the perfect fit. Um, Paul says the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, some have gone on in the past who have said, hey, when we depart from preaching Jesus Christ, we depart from preaching the gospel. The gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. So uh, Paul starts out with the greatness of the gospel. Then he proves that it's for everybody. Right. For the immoral. Right. For the good living, for the heathen, for the religious Jew, they all stand on the same plane. What's the word? Condemned. Right? All condemned before God. All in need of the gospel. And then he starts to talk about this great theological word called justification. Right? And so that starts at uh, the end of uh, chapter 3 and leads through chapter 4. Right? I mean, let's look at that. He's talking about, uh, I really like, um, you know, Paul, the, the great theologian. And, and so, you know, I just want to say uh, there's a great value in, in, in thinking about the titles that the Apostle Paul uses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes he says the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes he says Christ Jesus the Lord, right? He always changes this and there's purpose for that right it's not random okay and so it's important to emphasize that that it's with a purpose he's moved by the holy spirit and so when he emphasizes something different it's for a purpose and so why that's that's helpful to us today is because as paul is thinking about uh the greatness of the gospel and condemnation he he really tries to make it as simple as he can at the end of, of verse 26 of chapter 3 says this, that God might be just and the justifier of the one, listen to this, who has faith in Jesus. That's the message. Faith in Jesus. I mean, could Paul make it any simpler than that? It's impossible. Faith in Jesus. What happens to that person who puts their faith in Jesus? They're justified. Right. And so that's the uh, I like to think of the in the next three terms. We're thinking about the theological terms uh, uh, there. I always say they're Cations, you know, but my wife always corrects me and says, really, they're shuns. Right. The T.I.O.N. is shunned. But I like Cation. It sounds better. So we have uh, justification. Right. Uh, what does justification mean? Well, you'll hear sometimes people say just as if I never sinned. But we say that's not what Mr. Vine would tell us. And that's not what the Bible means. Just as if I'd never sinned puts me back where? Into the garden. What happens? The same thing happens. Justification is not just as if I'd ever sinned. Hey, listen, God is very aware of what I've done. And because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, he is just and he's the justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. The word means to declare righteous. Justification. Um, if we want to think, of, sometimes we want to, uh, the, uh, a word that helps us understand that. We, we know this, but it's good to, to remind ourselves uh, uh, a word uh, that starts with the same letter. It, it would be a P, of course, and you've heard this dozens of times, I'm sure. So the word is what? Saved from the penalty of our sin, right? 
saved from the penalty of our sin. What's the penalty for sin? The penalty for sin is death. He who puts his faith in Jesus is justified, declared righteous. Never to have to pay the penalty for sin. Alive from that point onward, right? From the moment a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're the possessor of eternal life, right? It's present tense. And so, um, save from the penalty, the word, the theological word justification. Then Paul moves through that, and then he starts to, uh, in chapter 5, talk about uh, it in the present tense, right? And so that's how he begins chapter 5. Um, if you have a King James, does anybody use a King James Bible? Malcolm, what's verse 1 say? Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. 5-1, yeah, five one. Read it again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody have a different verse, a different translation? Having been, where? Having been justified. Okay, so it, okay, so read read that one, brother. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a difference? Is there a difference between those two verses? Huh? Your dad is teaching justification as a present tense. Is that what you're saying, Brian? I mean, it's good that Brian called Malcolm out. He's probably the only one who could get away with it in the group. But yeah, the King James, the, the New King James, right? Yeah, the New King James, right? Mr. Darby translate makes it very, very important. Now, uh, the, the original language says that. Uh, King James translators, therefore, being justified by faith as if it's an ongoing thing, but it's not. It's a one-time act. Who does it? God does it. When God declares something, does it change? No. So therefore, having been justified, right? That's the, uh, that's the sanctification, the leading on from what Paul is talking about. And so from there, he moves on to this great word sanctification. It's being saved. If we like the P word, it's being saved from the presence of sin in our life. Is that right? Or better power, right? Presence is going to work, but not yet. Power of sin in our lives. And so then from uh, five onward uh, to halfway through seven, he talks about this concept of sanctification, right? It's not justification, it's sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Set apart, holiness, right? That's what the word means. And so um, if you turn to Romans chapter six, you can... um, See this idea in Romans chapter six, twice at the end in verse 19, he says, so now now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And so um, as we think about sanctification, uh, Willie McDonald says in his book, Be Holy, uh, the forgotten commandment, because Christians don't, he says, think or he used to say, don't think much about holiness. Um, It's that aspect of our Christian life where we cooperate with God, right? We don't cooperate with God in justification. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he declares us righteous. But when we cooperate with God in our sanctification, William McDonald says Christians say no to uh, things a thousand times a week. Right. So here the word is uh, now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, uh, as we think about this sanctification and how difficult it is, uh, David Gooding in his book on the upper room ministry says there's good news for you, Christians. You think about sanctification. 
the biggest part of it's already being done, right? By God. What's the biggest part of sanctification? He's given his own very life to live within you. He's given us his life. And so as we allow his life to live through us, we live a sanctified life. We live the life the Lord Jesus lived. And so uh, we cooperate with him. But again, the biggest part is done by God. And so we think about that in the middle column, right? Sanctification. Being saved from the power of sin. And then, of course, uh, Romans chapter 8, halfway through, we have this idea of looking forward. And we're familiar with the word. It's not justification. That's in the past. Not sanctification. That's in the present. But it's actually glorification. Right? Right? And so we think about that in the future, what we're going to be. Right? The work is finished. When we see him, we'll be like him. So have we got a chart? Have we got a chart? Am I the only guy that's got a chart? You got it in your mind or has somebody got it on paper? What's it look like? Has anybody got it on paper? Is anybody close? Okay, what do you got, Dave? What do you got? What's it look like? Help us out. Okay, so what do you got on the top? Let's, let's go over this. So great salvation. Okay, then what do you got here? Three appearings. Okay. Present. Future, three appearings. Has appeared, now to appear, will appear. Will appear, okay, good. Theological. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Glorification. Uh, words to remember. Save from the penalty of sin. Save from the power of sin. Presence of sin. Okay, so, uh, hey, this is not something new, of course. You know all this stuff. Hey, David understood this. Um, it's interesting when we have trouble living sanctified lives, there is a school in, in Christendom that would say, we need to really look and see if we've been justified. But, you know, that's never Paul's method. He would encourage us to be in the present tense what God has already made us in the past. Right? You get the point? It's not that we look at our lives to see if we've really been justified. The Apostle Paul would say things like, because you have been, this is how you should live. And it becomes a motivator, our justification. Hey, Old Testament saints understood this concept, right? Uh, Who's Paul's example in Romans chapter 4 of justification? Abraham and David. David understood this, right? So turn back to David's most famous psalm. David's most famous psalm. Where is everybody? Where? Where is everybody? I know where I am. Of course, I knew where we were going, but I have to start calling people out. Come on, you 51. You think that's David's most famous? 32. Oh, in in the assemblies, yes. People who remember the Lord. On Sunday morning and think something about sin. Yes, yes, absolutely, brother. But that's not... What is it? 23. 23. That's everywhere. Hey, if you go to any ceramic class in any city and you build a book of the Bible, what's the page of there? Huh? It's not Psalm 51. I mean, I love Psalm 51. 
But the world doesn't want to think much about sin. But they really love this concept, the Lord is my shepherd. Just at a funeral. Yeah, it's happened many times in my life. Read from Psalm 23, they say. I knew the guy who was my cousin. I mean, he could have got saved at the end of his life, but when I knew him, he wasn't saved. I mean, I remember having a discussion with him, and I'm like, you're not a Christian. He goes, Rob, I'm a Christian. I'm like, Ty, you're not a Christian. He says, Rob, I'm a Christian. Like, I don't know how any other way to say it. Ty, you're not a Christian. He says, Rob, I'm not a Catholic, so what am I? I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. That's what, if that's the two options, Catholic or Christian, then that's what he means. He doesn't mean he'd put his faith in Jesus and had been justified. That's not what he meant. So his funeral, they read Psalm 23. So the Lord is my shepherd. David had lots of struggles in his life. Lots of times he fell into sin. Had lots of heartache in his family. And when the going was tough, he liked to be able to just reflect on how the Lord was his help, present tense. How many times do you think the Lord's called a shepherd in the New Testament? How many times do you think? Seven's a good number. But it wouldn't fit on our chart. Three. Three times he takes the title of shepherd in the New Testament. What's the first one? John chapter 10. Keep your finger in Psalm 23. John chapter 10. Verse 11, this is the first time Lord Jesus takes his title, good shepherd or shepherd, in the New Testament. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, of course, you might seem like it's the tense of it. It's yet future. But we know that this was actually ordained before the foundation of the world. And so I would like to suggest to you that this, although it seems like it's in the presence, really in the past. Okay. And so uh, as we think about our chart, past, present, future, I'd like to put under the past John 10, verse 11. The Lord Jesus as the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Okay. What's the second time he takes the title of shepherd? Where is it? Hebrews, Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
So as we think about the Lord Jesus as the good shepherd in the past, what he accomplished for us at Calvary, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ here as the great shepherd, his present tense, what he's doing in the presence of God for us, right? What's he doing? He's sanctifying us. He's bringing us through. Hey, the Apostle Paul was very, very concerned, not about making converts, right? You know, um, we get this pretty clearly laid out for us in First Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about how the, their, their testimony, the Thessalonican believers' testimony was talked about the world over, that people heard, they saw their light. And, and so... Now we come to chapter uh, 3 and the Apostle Paul wants to see them again and he's really concerned. He hasn't heard anything from them. And so he wants to send uh, Timothy and he says this. uh, He wants to make sure that his labor was not in vain, not empty. We think, well, Paul, they're already converted. Hey, Paul wasn't interested in making converts. He wanted to make what? Disciples. Why would he want to make disciples? Well, because that's what the commission was, right? Go into all the world, not make converts, make disciples, teaching them to observe all things. And so the Apostle Paul wanted to see believers mature. Well, that's the present tense work of the Lord Jesus, right? He's working in us. And so uh, in our center here, we have here the good shepherd here under this in the present tense. We would have the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd. All right. And then the last time is in First Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And so Peter, in writing to the elders, uh, encouraging them to um, not to lose heart, to keep on. Now, not to, in verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And then he says, here's your motivation. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so, uh, as we think about the three tenses of our salvation, we think about the Lord Jesus Christ in the past as the good shepherd, having given given his life for the sheep. We think about him in the present tense as the great shepherd, the one who works even now to bring us home. And then lastly, the hope of the Christian, the hope of the believer is that the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd is going to appear and he's bringing his rewards with him. And guess what? Who's getting them? The who? The faithful ones, yeah. Well, actually, uh, I think it says, and every man will have praise of God. I don't know how he's going to do that because, um, well, it's of grace because I haven't been that faithful myself. But um, every man will have praise of God. Now, I'm going to say that's not a motivation. I'm not telling you you don't have to work for the Lord and that it's not a privilege to make sacrifices for him, but he is coming back as the chief shepherd. And so that fits in our third column, the future tense, right, of a so great salvation. All right, back to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Years ago, um, when we lived in Hunter Mile House, or we lived in Hunter Mile House, but years ago, uh, we built this brand new building, and we made it available for people in the community. And uh, people would use it, a wedding, funeral. One day, some uh, people in the community phoned and asked if they can use our building for a funeral. I said, I'm sure. Uh, they said, do you think somebody would be able to preach at the funeral? And so uh, one of the elders said, Rob, would you, you do it? And I said, yeah, I can try and do it. And so uh, they phoned and said, yeah, somebody can do it. And I said, well, I need to meet with them. So uh, meet with the family, meet with the son and, and, uh, and the widow at Tim Horton's over a coffee. A cowboy Bob is the gentleman's name. Um, and so, hey, in conversation, uh, you know, they're talking about what they want to do. And I find out that the son hadn't talked to his dad for like 30 years. I'm like, Phew, man, that's a long time. Uh, and so that's one thing. So I think, man, you got to be a bit careful what you say about that. And and um, so I'm like, what kind of stuff like what uh, what kind of stuff did did Cowboy Bob believe, believe theologically? And so the widow says, well, he just believed in doing the best that he could. I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to say anything, but he hadn't talked to his son for 30 years. I don't know what he would have gauged the best that he could do. I mean, by any standard, that's lousy. But anyways, I don't say that. I'm like, I said, well, what kind of things could you think we could do? And he said, well, we could sing. And I said, well, we could sing, but do you guys know any uh, hymns? Well, not really. I said, well, I can tell you how that's going to look. That's going to be me singing up at the front, and that's not going to work for anybody. So... Uh, how about if we play some hymns and music? Yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Uh, could you read from the Bible? I said, well, we could. What, what, what passage do you think we could read? They said, what about reading Psalm 23? I said, yeah, we could do that. Psalm 23. I mean, that's a great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, um, so I have to work through that in my mind. Now, uh, hey, Cowboy Bob, I want to see. You know, I talked about not knowing where he was. But I did present he could have been in heaven. He could have been in heaven. But I would say to you tonight, like I said to them, not by doing the best that he could. That would never have got him there. If he had put his faith in Jesus Christ, even though he had a broken relationship, he could still be in heaven. But it wouldn't be from Psalm 23, would it? And so as we think about uh, this order, this tenses of our salvation, we think about how much David understood about the present tense work of the Lord Jesus Christ in Psalm 23. We would put that in the middle, right? Wouldn't we? So we think about uh, the Lord here in his present tense workforce. We would have Psalm 23 there in the middle. What would be the psalm we put under the past tense? Huh? We would put Tom, Psalm 22 there, right? What is Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is the cross. See, that's the mistake lots of people make. They think they can have the present tent reward the Lord Jesus Christ. But never having come to the foot of the cross and seeing what he did for them, what he did for me. Hey, listen, make no mistake. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, says the Lord Jesus. Why was that? 
he was forsaken for me, for us. And so we would have Psalm 22 under the past tense, wouldn't we? And then we would have Psalm 23 here in the middle. And then what Psalm would we put under here? Under 24, of course we would. Uh, Psalm 24 says this. Lift up your heads, O you gates, verse 9. Lift up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And so uh, tonight uh, is just a little bit of an idea. Just a bit of a framework to think about our so great salvation. Our salvation is so great because our Savior is so great. Right? He has made allowance for us in every area of our life. In the past, he appeared once, put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In the presence, he now appears in the presence of God for us. And he will yet appear to those who are eagerly watching to finish off our salvation. We long for that day. And so scripture is tied together, I think, right? We track we good? Questions? Is it heresy? That's too strong. Okay. Is it scattered? If it is, well, talk to me after. Um, I, in my mind, it at least fits, and I hope somebody has a chart that, that it looks like it's in order. Let's close with the word of prayer. Our Father, we're grateful for our Savior tonight. We're so thankful for your Son, for your plan of salvation. Father, so grateful tonight that the Lord Jesus came into the world to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We give thanks tonight to you, to him. We would with united hearts say uh, to your beloved son, Lord Jesus, we love you for first loving us, for giving yourself for us and for what you continue to do and what you will eventually do in our lives. We give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.